0: And thanks for listening. This is Climate One, changing the conversation about energy, economy, and the environment. Today, we'll hear about one American institution that's reducing its carbon footprint in some surprising places, on the football field, the basketball court, and even the racetrack.
2: More than three-quarters of NASCAR fans are aware that, you know, climate change is an issue. And so NASCAR has, I think, like 80 million fans. And so if you're able to articulate the importance of doing your own part to offset that, that's a huge impact.
0: On today's Climate One, we'll meet team owners, athletes, and others who are working to reduce their major league carbon impact and to share that win with their fans.
3: While not everyone is interested in science, many people are interested in sports. So, if we can use our platform to do things that create real change, even on a micro level, that's something we're going to do.
0: The greening of professional sports, up next on Climate One. What happens when Friday night lights go solar? This is Climate One, changing the conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. Climate One conversations with oil companies and environmentalists, Republicans and Democrats, are recorded before a live audience and hosted by Greg Dalton.
1: I'm Greg Dalton and this is Climate One on the Road. I'm standing in the entrance to the Golden One Center, the first lead platinum arena in the NBA and brand new home of the Sacramento Kings basketball team. We're here for the annual meeting of the Green Sports Alliance, a group of executives from the NFL, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, even NASCAR. They're here sharing ideas for reducing food waste, running stadiums on clean energy, and encouraging fans to reduce their carbon impact. Let's go down to the locker room to learn how professional sports teams are getting skin in the game. Sports plays
4: a role in culture. Always has, always will. Um, government is intended
1: to represent,
4: not lead.
1: Justin Zullner is executive director of the Green Sports Alliance, a group of professional teams and venues.
4: So I'll give you an example. Um, what Jackie Robinson, the inclusion of baseball, What it did on race relations alone in America, Mm -hmm. not only here but globally, Mm -hmm. is a good example of culturally the significance of what sport could represent. You can talk about Billie Jean King. You can talk about Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. So in my role and perspective, um, I started my sports industry work in the snow sports industry and watched the ski industry my opinion, the canary in the coal mine to a certain degree go from 125 days a year to 190 to 60 to 30 to zero. So I got out of the ski industry, knowing that there was sort of an end road there. But I wanted to do something that was significant in nature, and started working for the Portland Trailblazers, the NBA Portland Trailblazers. And obviously, Portland has a culture of sort of environmental stewardship, and we started doing some really great work in that. And we we, we established a carbon footprint, for example, we were the first team to do that. And then we started saying, like, look, well, we're we're going to make massive changes. It's going to actually erode that 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 footprint engage with people. Meanwhile, the Mariners were doing some great stuff. The Seahawks were doing some great stuff. Another Paul Allen-owned team.
1: How much of this was driven by Paul Allen? or did um, it, Is it brought to him, or does he really have it in his belly and DNA to be green? I think
4: what you'll find is that most um, wealthy individuals, whether those be You know, individuals that are just out there in culture or they're ones that own sports teams seem to have a philanthropic nature to them, whether that was born with it or they um, were blessed by certain resources and decided, I'm going to do more with my money. I'm going to do more with my influence. What you found with Paul Allen is that he's an incredible philanthropist. He's got his own organization that, that works that. That's Vulcan Philanthropy, and he's got a foundation. Um, before coming over as the executive director of the Green Sports Alliance, I was working for Paul Allen up in Seattle and doing philanthropic work. And absolutely, the, you know, these. and I've met a lot of owners out there of, of teams that they want to do the right thing, and, and so there's, there's a lot of things they do in ocean conservation or land conservation or elephant you know, conservation, their food pr- principles, all those kinds of things. Uh, LeBron James stands up at the ESPYs and says, look, we have an incredible influence. We know that. So if we know that and assume that, what can we do? What, can, what role can we play socially? And let's get involved. And he, you know, he stood up with some of his friends. So let's, let's challenge people to get involved, whether it's race, whether it's environment, whether it's another social cause. So these owners do want to get engaged. And so, yes, absolutely. Paul Allen inspired the, the largest solar project still in the state of Washington is on sitting on one of his buildings up in Seattle. What the Portland Trailblazers were to do to inspire really all, an entire global population of you know, sports industry took notice to what the Blazers were doing in Portland. So we got that energy. We harnessed that energy of all those teams where six of us got together and said, Should we do something at scale? Could we take what we're doing and learn from that, but also educate other people, inspire other people, provide some resources to get this launched into something even greater? We had no idea necessarily it was going to become a global movement, but at the time we felt that it was going to be an opportunity to do more and scale this and actually make more impact. So we put together this organization called the Green Sports Alliance. We're now nearly 500 strong. We're growing pretty rapidly. There's actually green sports sort of organizations popping up into other countries around the globe. Um, We're working on harmonizing all that right now. But you're really talking about this at scale. This is energy and water and waste and transportation and food and all the things that go into sort of a, what some environmentalists call a carbon footprint. But really, it's just about doing business at the end of the day. How do we do business and how do we get better over time to do that? How do we have a smaller ecological footprint and participate in the healthy communities that we all live in and, and play in? And that's what our mission is. That's what we're trying to do. And so it really has been an incredible momentum at this point but that's not where the impact is and so today's summit that we're having here in sacramento golden one center in this beautiful building that's actually one of the most ecological buildings on the planet Mm -hmm. um, we're we're here to talk about what's next the future is fan and community athlete engagement how do we actually properly engage and use this power and harness this energy to ask people to join it doesn't matter if you're a, a race car fan or a tennis fan or a surfing, you know, or a surfer or a skier. How do we get everybody to join us in, in, in this so that we can get to those tipping points that have been elusive for the last really five decades? And to get us to those tipping points where actually Americans, even if you were just, just to look at us here in, in our own country, where solar is king where renewable energy is the right thing and local and organic foods is is the right approach. Those are the tipping points, right? How do we get there? We're close, but could sport just give a little nudge here and get us over that
1: but a lot of companies, it's one thing to to uh, reduce operations. What you're really talking about is reducing waste, which saves money. So cheaper energy, less waste. Those are all good business decisions. Great
4: business decisions.
1: Uh, but what you're talking about is a step further, which is often a very uncomfortable place for companies to go, which is telling their customers what they should do or how they should behave. And isn't that, particularly in these times, a delicate place to, to tell, I mean, uh, your customers, you want them to buy tickets. Uh, sponsors get a little sensitive about uh, being um, eco-righteousness or, you know, telling people they should not eat meat or drive a certain kind of car. That's a delicate place, isn't it?
4: It's the role of that sports is willing to put on its shoulders. Um, What we've heard prominently over and over again in my lifetime is that sports has played a role in defining culture, and defining what our societal norms will be. And they're very willing and engaging to do that. again, I mentioned that this is a pretty young movement. Mm -hmm. Um, It hasn't been around for 100 years. And it's just now got to that point where people are very comfortable starting to talk about that. And part of it is, You know, there's this notion of of sort of greenwashing that's out there. It's like, okay, well, what I found in the very beginning, I was pretty eager in in my professional career and saw there was this shining light that I I could see. And I was really eager to get all teams and all leagues and all brands to just go. But the reality was they really wanted to make sure their own house was in order first because you don't want to go out and start telling people, hey, you know what you should do. Um, we've got three great ideas for you. In fact, join us on those three ideas. And then as an owner or an executive of, of an arena team, a stadium, or whatever it might be, you open up the paper, and there it is. There's the story that says, um, such and such organization is asking for fans to take action, but look at their own arena, look at their own operation. They're not there yet. So Mm -hmm. it was important that we took the time in order to educate people, bring more resources. And that's what the green sports Alliance does is bring all that inspire people to take action. But more importantly, how are they going to do it? So now you're seeing that that bar has been raised. People are doing the right thing and nobody's perfect. There is no perfect here. There's just getting better over time. And as long as they're getting better, then they can go out and you can say, this is what we're doing." So um, a good example, NHL has released a sustainability report. And every year they're going to be kind of updating that and see where they're at. They know they're not perfect. Pocono Raceway, NASCAR, just released a sustainability report. They know they're not perfect. But what they've said is this is where we're at. And we're and we are charged to get better.
1: And they have a huge right? solar array They've, outside that it's racetrack. A,
4: it, 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 it's, an, it's an incredible place. Like, you know, so, so, but, but solar isn't the only key. You don't just do solar and say we're done, right? You know, right. so you try to figure how am I going to compost? How am I going to recycle? But more importantly, how are we going to gauge the, the the fans? So even you know even at Pocono there, um, at, you know, there's two races that NASCAR you know and 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 the um up and coming race was called you know the, the you know the green. It's called the the you know, Pocono Green 250. And it's actually the whole thing is about how do you label, brand, educate fans on, on what environmental stewardship is about. That's where the impact becomes really, really magnificent.
1: Justin, thanks for your time.
4: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here.
1: The greening of professional sports is reaching into one of the dirtiest sports in the reddest parts of the country. NASCAR CEO Brian France endorsed Donald Trump for president, and several NASCAR drivers sent joyful tweets after the election. Since then, the Trump administration has tried to roll back the move from fossil fuels to cleaner energy and denied climate change is happening. But I spoke with one NASCAR driver who accepts climate reality and thinks the sport could do more to reduce its environmental impact. Her story is not the typical path to the big oval. Here's my conversation with Julia Landauer. So Julia, what is a woman raised in New York, educated at Stanford, doing behind the wheel of a stock car?
2: I love going fast. You know, my parents were looking for an activity that their kids could do together on the weekends, and they specifically wanted something their girls could do against boys. And so it was me and my sister at first and then my brother. So I started racing go-karts, and I loved it right away, and I started winning right away. So I thought, huh, I want to be a race car driver. Other people are doing it. Why can't I? And so um, that's how it got started, and we've just kind of been climbing the ranks ever since. But it's always been fun to be the, the different race car driver
1: so you've been a pathbreaker in a very male dominated sport
2: yeah yeah and it's been it's been really cool to see more girls get into the lower ranks of racing recently and you are we are seeing a big jump in that it's not 50 50 yet but we're getting closer and um it's been cool to be you know from new york city and just have a very different cultural perspective and then bring that to racing but then still prove to the teams and to my competitors that at the end of the day i'm a racer and there's that respect that way even though i'm packaged so differently um so it's been fun it's been it's been tough at times but it's been fun and you studied uh stem science
1: technology tell me about what you studied at stanford
2: Yeah, so I got a Bachelor's of Science in science, technology, and society, and it was very interdisciplinary, and it allowed me to take a lot of mechanical engineering design classes, as well as some computer science, and then some communication and business-oriented classes, and history, you know, when you're trying to be, you know, one of the few women to go after a racing career and try to be successful, and not many people have done it. It's good to know, you know, other groundbreakers in history, so just try to be as prepared as possible. Was there
1: a moment where you had an environmental or climate awakening where you realized that the environment was something that would really be important to you in your lifetime?
2: Yeah, and well, it started at home. Like, we've always recycled. We've always been environmentally friendly at home. And then when I got to Stanford and I saw just how much more there was out there, I became really interested in figuring out how, not only for my personal life, how I could be more environmentally friendly, but then from a racing perspective, you know, I'm very aware that there are emissions that the sport has, and that's a very real part of it, but there are so many things that can be done to offset that or to try to, you know, negate the the negative stuff, but, and to work with NASCAR and to do stuff on a personal level, it just, it was all coming together at Stanford, and I was able to talk with people at the sustainability office there, just to brainstorm ideas and to see, you know, you know, if you're looking at NASCAR from the outside what what could be done to make it better? And it's a lot of stuff that NASCAR is doing right now. So it's cool to see that all come together.
1: I went to my first NASCAR race uh, a couple of years ago at Sonoma and seemed like everything was was combusted. The food was, was uh, barbecued and blackened and the rubber was burning and the fuel was burning. There's lots that seemed like combustion was at the center of it. And scientists at Stanford say that that combustion of fossil fuels is a real problem. So how do you reconcile those two?
2: Oh, for sure. And it is a problem. And I don't think anyone's trying to say that that doesn't exist, but really just trying to say, okay, what steps can we take to try to offset that? How can we be better? How can we address the issue? You know, more than three quarters of NASCAR fans are aware that, you know, climate change is an issue. And so being able Mm. to inspire uh, people to change their day-to-day lives. I mean, NASCAR has many millions, I think like 80 million fans. And so if you're able to articulate the importance of doing your own part to offset that, that's a huge impact. And so it it may not be directly at the track all the time, but it's if you can influence 80 million people to maybe recycle or be a little bit greener in their day-to-day life, that it definitely helps.
1: Do you talk with uh, environmental climate things when you're, I don't know, having a beer with the other drivers? Uh, do those sorts of issues come up, the, the sustainability, or is that something kind of just that a few people at the corporate office talk about?
2: No, I mean, I think it comes <laughs> up. And, you know, I the drivers I've hung out with both at my level at k n and at the cup level, I mean, it definitely comes up because we – we're, we're conscious of what we're doing, and we know that we have a sport that we love very much that, you know, has some other consequences. And I think discussing it is not – it's not just in the select group of people. And for me, it's fun with all of my non-racing networks that I have to be uh-huh. able to kind of convey, okay – we're not just a really backward sport. We're actually, you know, doing what we can in the parameters that are there to make a difference and to try to make some positive change.
1: Formula One racing has Formula E, which is all electric. Um, and some people associate the very dramatic sounds of auto racing with uh, kind of the, the appeal of the sport. I talked to a person from. Harley Davidson once, who said, "We can make an electric bike, but it doesn't have that Harley sound, and our customers want that Harley sound." So, do you think that racing can be successful without those dramatic roars of the engines?
2: I think that's a great question. I I totally understand the, you know, the really gritty appeal of the smells and the sounds, and I think that's a part of, a part of racing. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that electric is the only answer to make racing more environmentally friendly but, but I do understand those concerns that it might not touch the the really those types of core fans and as someone who agrees that again I like the smell I like the you know the sounds um but I just try not to look at it in black and white cuz nothing's black and white right so yes you could do a full electric series would that you know lose some fans maybe but I don't know I just I don't look at it in black and white like that.
1: So what are some of the steps you'd like to see racing take in terms of uh, the next fuel or, or you know, greening
2: the sport? If, if you were the, the green czar of
1: NASCAR, what oh, would you wow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I kind of want to see, like, continued improvement in the direction we're going. You know, right now we have, you know, the percentage of ethanol blend, you know, how far can you push that with the real restraints that, you know, we have motors that need to, you know, stay cool. And that's a big thing with the cooling, Um, you know, not getting the motors to run too hot. Um, But I think just really continuing to harness the fact that we have really engaged fans, and, you know, seeing the impact we can make with them, because at the end of the day, I think that's a much bigger picture than and that can have the ripple effect much more than just the sport itself and i'm speaking as a driver right i don't work in nascar corporate i don't work um with nascar and the and the partners but just Mm -hmm. from a driver's perspective it seems like we can push a little bit more of the fuel and you know maybe start experimenting with different materials for the race cars and um but i think i think the more we can make immediate change with the people who are involved i think that will help escalate the other processes
1: Autonomous cars are all the rage in Silicon Valley. A lot of that's uh, coming out of Silicon Valley. Uh, A lot of drivers are being worried about put out of work. Do you ever think we'll watch autonomous race cars?
2: I don't know. I mean, I think from a technology standpoint, it would be super cool. But part of racing is that we're kind of like superheroes who are doing things that the average person can't do. And I think that that aspect is really what brings people back. Like, it's fun to watch cars go really fast and see what they're capable of. But to know that another person is, you know piloting the race car is what i think really gains the attention so i'd love to see like maybe an autonomous pace car or something like to lead the field to green i think that'd be really cool um but i think i like having drivers because you have the rivalries and then you have personality the 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 drama that carries for the full season it's like you got to race against these people every race so the drama continues
1: so what do you drive off the track and how often do you get tickets
2: My parents gave me a Volkswagen GTI when I moved down to North Carolina, so that's what I'm still driving, and um, I got my tickets out of the way when I was younger, um, and I learned that you need to set cruise control if you do not want to get a ticket, so I've been doing pretty well so far, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, a five-lane highway shouldn't be a 60-mile-an-hour zone, which I learned uh, early on, but that's okay. Uh, It's fun.
1: Uh, Well, Julia Landauer, thanks for joining me.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Julia Landauer is a two-time championship-winning NASCAR driver. When we come back, Greg Dalton speaks with former World Series champion Dusty Baker about managing both the Washington Nationals and his own solar energy company.
5: I didn't have a job in baseball, and I started thinking, I said, man, if nobody wants me on their team, then I'll start my own team. And so I started Baker Energy Team.
0: This is Climate One.
6: It's time to slam now We got the real jam going down Welcome to the Space Jam Here's your chance, do your dance At the Space Jam Alright all right.
4: All right.
0: This is Climate One, changing the conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment You can listen to all of our programs and subscribe to our podcast at our website, climate climateone.org this week, we're exploring the greening of American sports with movers, shakers, drivers, and hitters at the Green Sports Alliance Summit in Sacramento. Here's Greg Dalton.
1: Washington Nationals manager Dusty Baker is a baseball lifer. A consistent hitter during his playing days, he's become one of the most successful modern day managers. He's also winning off the field with his latest venture, Solar Energy. When I heard that you have a clean energy company, a solar company, I was surprised. What inspired you to start a solar
5: energy company? Well, what inspired me was that when I built my home almost 11 years ago, I was trying to. I talked to my neighbor next door, and he had a um, a bill, a monthly bill of like 2,500 bucks, and I was like, "Man, that's that's ridiculous." And so I have you know a pretty large home, but I have a well, I have um, you know some outbuildings out there. And I said, man, that's going to be ridiculous. And I started looking into solar. And My dad was always into fishing and hunting and, and started us and, you know, clean water and things. And so I says, well, well since I'm building this home, I put solar on my barn in the back. And then it, it wasn't quite enough. And then I end up having a ground mount, uh, you know, behind my vineyard that I end up planting. And um, then I looked into... Uh, solar power on my well and then i looked into uh you know with thermal uh you know heating uh you know for my water and then i was like man this is this is pretty interesting and then i really start seeing the effects of you know zero bills and then i um i didn't have a job in baseball and i started thinking i said man if, if nobody wants me on their team then i'll start my own team and so i started baker energy team with a couple guys uh uh, you know that I had gone to high school and college with, and you know they were uh, up to speed in in solar, and and so one thing led to another, and I said, hey. And then I went, I went. Actually, I went two years before that. I was in Chicago, and um, I met a you know a guy named Ted Roth with we with, you know, with Roth Partnerships, and uh, and uh, him and his brother Byron, uh, you know they were big in the energy. They knew all the people from you know, all the uh, solar companies and all the inverter companies, and they put on these big conventions. So I went down to Las Vegas, and I saw that there were probably a handful of minorities there out of like ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 people. And I was like, man, this is, a, this is a perfect, you know, segue for me. It was really intriguing to me, because especially the fact that I was afraid of electricity as a kid, because <laughs> I stuck my dad's <laughs> screwdriver and light socket <laughs> and it turned all black and, and then I I lied to him. I I got a whip and then I lied to him. I don't know who did it <laughs> and he knew who did it and I knew who did it. And so, you know, like you wanna you wanna approach it and, and and attack your phobias in, in, in life. And so that was another reason why. So, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, here we are. And and you know one one key fact is that um As my company was growing and I took this job again back in baseball, I was like, well, you know, how am I going to do this from afar? And um, I I called uh, Joe Gibbs, uh, you know, former uh, Washington Redskins head coach. Uh And he was out 11 years when he came back, and he had Joe Gibbs racing. So I called Mr. Gibbs. I didn't know him. I had somebody to put me in contact with him. And he told me how, how to do it and weekly reports and things that I'd have to, but he told me I'd have to stay on top of it, have people that I trusted. And then at the end, you know, he said, let me pray for you, pray with you. And I was like, sure, Mr. Gess. And so, <laughs> yeah, he said a prayer, you know, for for me and my new career with the Nationals and also for my for my company, and I found that very enlightening.
1: Well, you're at the Washington National Stadium, which was the first pro sports stadium to be LEED certified, have a green certification. And you have a partnership with a company that is involved with the Golden One Center, which is the LEED Platinum. That's supposed to be the greenest sports center in the country. So what do you see in terms of in professional sports getting into solar, getting into cleaner energy? Do fans care?
5: Uh, I think some of the fans care. I think I think fans uh, care in certain areas more than others, and I think there are other people that 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 really believe that we have to clean up, uh, you know, the carbon waste, uh, you know, in the country. I mean, you know, there are some fans that don't even believe in, in global warming because I see, I see uh, uh, signs on their cars and different things, and I said, and I I believe in that, and I've talked to some some scientist friends of mine that I went fishing with, and they were in Alaska for the last four or five years, and they've told me about, you know, how they've seen, you know, the the, uh, the ocean rise uh, only a couple inches, but a couple inches all over the world, man, that's a lot, and, and they've seen glaciers melting and different things, and there are people that don't believe it, and I'm not a doomsdayer, but I believe, you know, uh, uh, what I'm seeing and what I'm reading, and I, and I believe as a fisherman and outdoorsman, I can see, especially, you know, in, in the places where they're a, a lot of industry where, where they were dumping into our rivers. I mean, we've cleaned up a lot of it, but there are a whole bunch of places I've gone and seen that that, that has that stench about it, or I wouldn't drink the water, or I wouldn't dare eat the fish out of the, out of the water. And I love eating fish, or I'll see I'll go someplace and and I'll be out in the woods, and you'll see, you know, dead animals, you know, and, and different things, and you know, we must preserve. You know the world and, and if I can do just a little part uh you know to help uh, you know help the world and and then support my family at the same time, that's what I'm willing to do
1: last question uh a lot of the people who will feel climate change first and worst are poor people of color. they live close to the factories, the refineries, et cetera you know there's more racial tension in America. You saw that in Atlanta when you were there with uh, with Hank Aaron. so you're I'
5: see it now sometime. I don't think people overlook that, but there's there's tension out there. Not necessarily racial tension like there was before, but there's tension. I think between the haves and the have-nots. And I think that, and if something's not done, and we don't share and, and make it available to them, then people will eventually take take what they need, which is equals violence.
1: Thanks for your time, Dusty Baker. This is Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton. We're talking about the greening of American sports. We bring it on as a consulting firm working to clean up live entertainment and sports. Jennifer Regan is their chief sustainability officer. She got her professional
6: start in an unusual place. I was raised in Santa Monica, California. Uh, My parents were divorced, but my dad was this, everything he did with me was about educating me about the environment. Every weekend trip was camping. Santa Monica was one of the first cities with recycling. Heal the Bay, which is a great nonprofit. Same year I was born, 1985, I'm a younging. So my dad brought me to every beach cleanup possible. I mean, I was raised thinking in LA that I was the most environmental person. I went to college in Oregon because I wanted to study sustainable development. And I wanted to go study indigenous cultures. And Willamette University had a program that worked with indigenous cultures. And the reason I cared about that is because I thought they were the true environmentalist, that indigenous people understood the plight of fighting for natural resources because it was a part of their way of life. So I had romanticized, Hmm. innocently romanticized this notion that I needed to fight for the Amazon and fight for these places with the indigenous people. So I went to college, thinking I was the most environmental person because I recycled and I went camping. Hmm. And then I got schooled by the Oregonian culture, where recycling and camping is what you do before age two, and then you start learning about supply chain and veganism and other ways of reducing your impact. So uh, in undergrad, my mind was just blown open. My heart was blown open. I went from just looking at saving the Amazon to really look at sustainable development and what what was the environmentalist way and how could I include as many people as possible in saving the earth?
1: And then you went to work for the Anschutz family, a billionaire with an oil and gas fortune, an yes. unusual uh, place to be an environmental A leader.
6: Yeah. When I graduated in 2007, I had just, my undergraduate, I graduated, I had just finished working for the Oregon League of Conservation Voters on a campaign to have mayors sign uh, the Climate Action Pact that came with the Inconvenient Truth. 2007, there were some businesses adding environment to the job, but there were three sustainability jobs on the market, and I was not eligible for them. So I was looking at other businesses, and I had a family connection to AEG, my mother, and she said, why don't you get another job at AEG and bring the environment in? And I said to her, no, I've got to have an environmental job, and like a stubborn millennial What was beautiful is that in my passionate explanation of why I wanted to be an environmental person, my mom heard for the first time how knowledgeable I'd become. And right after that conversation, she had been asked to join a green committee at her company. So beautiful combination of passion and connection. She said to her executive team, hey, can I bring in my daughter to give us a little bit of information on what we should be looking at on this green committee? And I used air quotes for everyone. Green committee had no idea what green meant. Mm -hmm. And I went in for this one dinner to explain the difference between green and sustainable and say that they had to go big or go home. And they offered me a two month position to assist this committee in getting all the information together for a proposal to the owner. One of which included a, you need to hire someone full time. When I got that recommendation approved, I went to the market and started emailing my professors and emailing everyone saying, you've got to help me find a person for this job. And one of my male professors, and it's important because I'll mention this later, wrote back, I have a recommendation. And in it, he wrote you. And he bullet pointed all the reasons why my personality meant that I was ready for the job and I needed to take the plunge, even if I didn't feel experienced. And so I worked while well, i built my career also building the greening program for AEG at the same time.
1: And AEG operates
6: and owns uh, sports and entertainment complexes around the world. They are the largest presenter of live entertainment in the world. They are now they own sports teams like the LA Kings hockey team. They own arenas. They also have contracts to manage arenas so they have over 150 stadiums, arenas, and music theaters across the world, and they have a whole music division that does Coachella Music Festival, that does Golden Voice concerts, and so a lot of the big acts that you see or buy tickets, anything you can buy a ticket to, AEG's involved in.
1: And Philip Anschutz was also on the board of the American Petroleum Institute, which has been kind of slow down and block progress on climate that you've been working so hard on. Did you ever encounter any contradictions or pushback on or places you thought it was not comfortable to go because of the oil and gas history of the company? Thank you for that.
6: My rhetoric 100% was about best business case and efficiency. I could not talk about climate change as my business case in 07 and 08. Part of my job was to really educate and create a level of comfortability among the executives in really looking at climate change. So my key to success in the beginning was looking at all the benefits of climate change without necessarily calling it climate change.
1: So you don't talk about the cause. Use business language yeah. it's in American culture. More people pay attention to sports than the news or politics. Yeah. Uh, what do you see as the opportunity for American sports to bring about a cultural change? We're not seeing l- political leadership change at the national level. Currently, right now, there's a revival of uh, climate denialism. What can sports do to move things forward on clean energy at this time?
6: Mr. Anschutz and his entire executive team moved their position and came to a place of accepting climate change because not only through AEG, but Mr. Anschutz pers- purchased Xantera National Parks and Resorts and got there one of the leaders in environmental park management. Ah. And he also invested in a wind farm. And when he was bringing these experts in front of him the information the way it was being delivered it became very clear and so his executive team are some of the the answers corporation some of the biggest advocates at any of their their companies on behalf of the environment and so i think what i can learn from that and answer the question about sports is that um, sports is about high performance and one of the things that many executives in sports talk about is the moment of truth you come to an event to experience the impossible. The moment that someone hits a three-point shot 10 seconds before the buzzer. Or when the score is, you know we go over time and someone wins from behind. And those are the moments that you really long for or you hear your favorite musician hit a note in person that you've never felt in your body before. And I even see you lighting up when I'm telling you this, I'm assuming the audience, you just feel it in your body. There's movement, there's passion, there's connection. And so if you're in the stadium or in the arena experiencing that and you're connecting on that level and you can also learn something else in a way that in that excitement that energy it could connect to you on that heartfelt way and I feel that as we explored as a business and we saw the fan engagement components and the sponsors respond the sponsors big brands like coke and espn I mean they're already getting pressure from their industry to make these changes so for sports to meet them there and then for us to get back to that passion, that excitement, sports is the opportunity to tell the story of high performance, that, that magical moment. And if that magical moment can be us coming together as people, as fans, to celebrate a team that win or us winning climate change. And so for those of us in the environment, it's not a far leap to think about us celebrating our wins as a community at our community gathering place. So for us, arenas and stadiums are the places where community gathers. And sports are the things that the high-performance wins that we celebrate.
1: Last question. Uh, we live in a time where the revival of fossil fuels, climate science is under attack. Fossil fuels are, uh, you know, talk about trying to bring back the coal industry. Does that ever get you discouraged, or does that get you more energized? <laughs>
6: uh, people always told me, as I get older, I'm going to get more conservative, or I'm going to get more cynical. And um, what I find... Uh, I I feel I feel a disconnect. I feel numb and I think that's my avoidance because it hurts that much. So the answer question do I feel discouraged? I feel overwhelmed and I don't like to admit that too often because I'm capable of a lot of things, but it's overwhelming because um it's overwhelming because there are, it really feels like there are more people who believe in the m- micro actions to take. To solve climate change, a lot of people will agree with them, and so the fact that we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and I really want us to get talking on a smaller scale, the personal scale, so we can stop throwing everything out. And so for me, when I say overwhelmed, it's overwhelming to hear all of these great progressive movements, states have taken policies that are just being tossed out because we have a national statement about no climate change. Jenna Regan, thank you very
1: much for your time.
6: Yeah, thank you.
0: Jennifer Regan is Chief Sustainability Officer at We Bring It On. Greg Dalton caught up with her at the annual meeting of the Green Sports Alliance. Next up how the Sacramento Kings built a LEED certified stadium from a recycled mall. This is Climate One. Climate One, taking the show on the road. Greg Dalton is speaking with athletes, team owners, and executives at the Green Sports Alliance Summit in Sacramento to find out what the wide world of sports is doing to lighten its carbon footprint.
1: The NBA Sacramento Kings recently opened the Golden One Center. It sits in the heart of California's capital city and is the first LEED-certified platinum indoor sports venue in the country. We spoke with team president, Chris Granger, about the team's commitment to sustainability.
3: Well, honestly, when we started this project here in Sacramento, we surveyed 20,000 of our fans and non-fans, we did about 100 different focus groups, And the number one thing that people wanted outside of a a championship banner was for Golden One Center to be a model of sustainability. So this is something that really matters to our community. And as you know, you know, much of the green policy of our country starts right here in Sacramento. So as with everything in this building, we wanted to do something that reflects the values of Sacramento, reflects the people of Sacramento. And being green really is important to us here. So... From our standpoint, we wanted to push it as far as we could and embrace solar. Since we have so much sunshine here in Sacramento, we wanted to be mindful of drought conditions here in California. Um, and all of those things in totality led us to being lead Platinum. I don't know that that was the initial goal, but certainly it was the end result of everything we did.
1: How much did it cost to go lead Platinum? A lot of people go lead, well, maybe lead Gold. How much, how much extra did you pay?
3: I, you know, I don't even, I'm not even sure I could answer it because there are things that made sense for us operationally. So there are certain cost advantages from being as efficient as we are going to be going forward. And quite honestly, there's revenue opportunities. We have uncovered a whole host of partners and sponsors who want to participate in the greenest building in the world. So I'm not so sure this isn't a net, net positive for us rather than a cost for us.
1: Uh, I go to uh, sports games and often look into the recycling or compost bin, and I see stuff in the wrong place. And there's a little bit of cynicism out there that recycling really gets recycled, whether compost really gets composted. So if I come here and put a beer bottle in the compost, what happens? (laughs)
3: We'll find it. We'll find it before it goes where it needs to go. Um, But, again, it critically matters for us here. And, and, And I think one of the neater things we've done here on that topic is not just in terms of recycling, you know, this... This project sits on an old mall that we demolished, and literally 99% of that mall was recycled, much of it back into Golden One Center. So we take recycling very seriously. And and similarly, we take our food process very similarly. So we're really trying to be zero waste here in across everything we do.
1: Some sports franchises just wanted to do a little bit of greenwashing. When you look around other professional sports areas, do you see greenwashing happening?
3: sure without question but but that said it's a process it's a process for all of us and, and certainly we like to be uh, on the leading edge of that but again i i think part of our mission here with the kings is just to get the conversation going to be the first lead platinum gives us an opportunity to speak with some authenticity about here are the varied ways you can make a difference in your building and they don't all have to be epically earth-changing ideas, but let's get everybody started, because again, we all know in sports that we have a tremendous platform, and people pay attention to what we do, so to the extent that we can create a conversation among fans, among partners, among suppliers, it really makes a difference, and again, just think about the number of people, the number of companies and brands who touch sports, from transportation to energy, to food, to retail. If we can affect those partners, if we can affect those of those and those um, companies in that supply chain, we really can impact a lot of the economy here. So we take our role as a sports purveyor of sustainability very seriously.
1: Sometimes green is perceived as being controversial, particularly these days. It didn't used to be the case. President Nixon established the the EPA. But lately, green has become polarized by, like everything else, are corporate sponsors, team owners kind of reluctant to be green because it's become political, at least in Washington.
3: I don't know. It's certainly not our story here in Sacramento from Vivek Ranadive, our owner, to obviously Governor Brown here at the state capitol. Um, Green is important and the science is very clear about climate change right now. So again, we understand that you know, while not everyone is interested in science, many people, most people are interested in sports. So if we can use our platform to tell a green message, to do things that create real change, even on a micro level, that's something we're going to do.
1: How about the athletes? It's one thing for stadiums to be green, but it's another thing for athletes who people who are are revered, adored, they're icons. Um, Do you do anything to to get the athletes out there to, to, because they have such uh, social power?
3: They certainly do. And and again, I think that's what's important and what We message to our team here in Sacramento, like, we want to make a difference in the world as an organization. So one of the things we work with our players on, we have a whole series of programs through something that's called King's Academy, where we introduce our players to some of the things we do in the community. We introduce them to the values that we espouse here at Golden One Center. So, again, from our standpoint, it's just an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing education process about what you as an individual can do to make a difference.
1: I asked Vivek Ranadeve, a Silicon Valley entrepreneur and owner of the Sacramento Kings, if government is needed to solve the climate challenge or if it's something business and individuals can do.
7: Yeah, my daughter, uh, for Father's Day uh, many years ago, she gave me uh, a poster with all her favorite sayings. And right at the top was Gandhi's saying, be the change you want to be. And uh, that had an impact on me. And I thought that, you know, we can do things ourselves. uh, And uh, I've always said that it's about more than basketball, uh, that it's bigger than uh, than basketball. And we had an opportunity here to uh, set an example and set a bar that hadn't been achieved before. Uh, so I think that our kids are way smarter than us. They're way more evolved than us. Uh, they're w- way more uh, conscious of uh, uh, the impact uh, that we're having on the environment. Uh, and so They are the change that we want the world to be. And so uh, I don't think that we have to wait for governments to do the right thing. Uh, Our Kids are showing us the way, and uh, each of us can do the right thing. And now you led the building of the greenest uh, arena in the NBA. So tell us why this is so green, and and, uh, did it cost you more to do it? Yeah, we uh, actually, when we started this uh, project, when I bought the team, I had made a personal commitment that I would have an arena built by 2017, and if I didn't, then they could take the team back from me. And now, thanks to the uh, state, the governor, the city, uh, we actually had a law passed that allowed us to uh, f- uh, expedite the building of the arena, and we got it done one year ahead of that uh, milestone and we uh, finished a year ago. Uh, and uh, from our perspective, uh, it had to be iconic. It had to uh, serve our fans in, in a way that had never been done before, but our... Fans, through a crowdsourced survey, also told us that being green was really important to them. Uh, So for us, being green wasn't just uh, an afterthought. It wasn't, uh, you know, you have a house and you slap on some solar panels. Uh, Being green was a core uh, objective, and it had to uh, be green in every way. So how we built it, we used recycled materials. Uh, How we power it, it's renewable energy. How we feed our fans, it's all local food. Uh, How we cool it, uh, it uses uh, technology uh, that makes the cooling a lot more efficient. Water, that's a big problem in our state. Uh, So we use half the water. Uh, So in every way, uh, being green was a a core principle for us. Uh, And People have this misconception that it's either a good business decision, it's good for fans, or it's green. And in our case, uh, we found that being green was good for the fans, and it was good for business. So we had a triple win on it. You know, It was green, it was a great fan experience, and it's actually been great for business. A lot of uh, team owners, professional sports team owners,
1: their trophies, their toys. Uh, uh, it sounds like you view this team as, as a tool for something else rather than just a you know, rich man's plaything.
7: Yeah, I bought the team because I wanted to uh, keep it in Sacramento. I was a corner owner of the Golden State Warriors at the time, and we had just finished turning the team around. Uh, we had been booed for a number of years, and we were finally starting to win. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, And I realized that without the team... Uh, our state capital really had nothing. Uh, It would be like ripping the heart out of the city. Uh, And I came to California with nothing, so everything I have I owe to this great state. Uh, Sacramento is our capital. Uh, And so for me, uh, it was uh, obviously we want to build a winning franchise and we want to have great success on the court, uh, but we also want to – we have a mission statement, and the mission statement I laid out was that we build a winning franchise that – enhances the lives of those it touches and makes the world a better place. Uh, so that's core to our mission. Uh, and so, of course, you know, we want to win championships one day, but we also want to go about it the right way. Make the world a better place. Uh, you grew up in India.
1: India is a big part of the climate situation. How do you see India in the climate equation?
7: Yeah, so India uh, very much wants to be viewed as, uh, as a world leader, as a superpower uh, we have a, a relatively uh, newish uh, prime minister, uh, and he wants to make a uh, have an impact on the world stage. Uh, and obviously, it's you know it's one of the largest countries out there. Uh, so uh, I believe that the young people in India are no different uh, than my daughter and the young people over here. Uh, they want to do the right thing. Uh, if you go to India, you see the pollution. Uh, it's, uh, it, it just comes at you from all directions, uh, and, you know, it assaults your senses. And so uh, you don't have to be shown uh, the impact that we're having on the environment. It's there 24-7 uh, for you to smell and feel and touch. Uh, so I believe that uh, India will uh, be not just a willing uh, participant, but will be a leader uh, as we move to this new world order. So scientists say
1: um, what business is doing, it's all good, but it's not happening fast enough. What do you think about that?
7: Yeah, I'm a huge optimist, and I have uh, great belief in in the the power of uh, innovation, the power of what young people can do. Uh, And uh, if you look at uh, a lot of the things that people said would happen... Just haven't happened. Uh, and so I believe that as long as we continue the focus, uh, I'm optimistic that businesses will start changing. In In Europe, it's already a fact that, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's like if you go to offices in Europe during the summertime, it's pretty warm there because the temperature is set high. Uh, I I did a lot of business with uh, with, uh, European companies. Uh, More than half my business was from outside the United States when I had a multi 1000000000 dollar software company. And many of the uh, international and European clients would want to know uh, our uh, green policies in order to give us the business. So it wasn't enough to simply be the best software. I also had to show that we were responsible citizens uh, in order to get the business. Uh, So I think that businesses are going to do the right thing. Great. Um, Well, thank you for being the change. Well, thank you.
0: That was Vivek Ranadive, owner of the Sacramento Kings basketball team, speaking with Greg Dalton. You've been listening to Climate One on the Road from the annual meeting of the Green Sports Alliance at the Golden One Center in Sacramento. Greg also spoke with Justin Zulner of the Green Sports Alliance, champion NASCAR driver Julia Landauer, Washington Nationals manager Dusty Baker, Jennifer Regan of We Bring It On, and Chris Granger, former president of the Sacramento Kings. To hear all our Climate One conversations, subscribe to our podcast at our website, climateone.org, where you'll also find photos, video clips, and more. Also at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you podcast. Please leave a comment. We'd love to know what you think about our conversations on energy, food, water, technology, psychology, and more.
1: Climate One is a special project of the Commonwealth Club of California. Jane Ann Chen is the producer. Kelly Pennington directs our audience engagement. Carlos Manuel is our booker and associate producer. The audio engineer is William Bloom. Annie Chelsea and Devin Strolovich are the editors. I'm Greg Dalton, the executive producer and host. The Commonwealth Club CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. Join us next time for a conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. Climate One is presented in association with KQED Public Radio.